All right, I'm supposed to tell you a couple things at the outset. Number one is if you wanted to do the Mom's Day Out where we try and, you know, give moms a day out. <laughs> you need to sign up for that. We had a bunch of moms go, oh, yeah, I totally want to get a pedicure and, and have my husband serve me margaritas. Woohoo! So um, you got to sign up. <laughs> it's like two people, two people signed up, but like 20 people said we're coming. And so they need to reserve the places at the pedicure place. So sign up. And then also, if you want to go kayaking on the 16th uh, of June, you, if you have a smartphone, you just scan that right there and sign up right there, or you can sign up in the back. Again, we got to reserve the kayaks for when we go. I get sick on a, I get sick on a swing, so I will not be going the ocean. It's funny, I don't get sick on a surfboard, but I get sick in like a kayak or a little boat. Just... They're going out to the lighthouse. Whatever they didn't go last time. Oh, you're talking about like the sharks? Are you going to be a heckler all morning? <laughs> I'm going to element, if you're new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on Live in YouVersion. You will get the sermon notes, the verses, and all those things that go along with what we're talking about today. So funny, uh, I was listening to last week's message, and so I wrote myself a note on the top of my note. It says, slow down. I will forget that five minutes in. I'm just warning you up front. Once you stand with me, reading God's word, we will get going. It's a Psalm 69, verse 5, and it says, O God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand where our lives have been, but where you intend for them to be. And we ask that as you offer great grace to us, we would live in that grace and offer it to those around us. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in the book of Genesis. This is week 18. If you have a Bible, you go to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, this is the beginning, the beginning, the story of stories that makes all the rest of Scripture understandable. starts like this, Genesis 1 and 2. God makes everything good and wonderful and right. Genesis 3, we come along, we screw it all up because <laughs> that's what we tend to do. Uh, Genesis 4, 5, and 6, you have two millennia of depravity. Genesis 7, God shows Noah grace and he saves him and his family. Well, God takes care of the sin problem upon the earth. Noah is told pre-flood, you are to be a preacher of righteousness. And in 2 Peter 2, 5, Peter says Noah actually did that. Noah is also told build a boat This is and make it a big boat because God is offering a way, salvation for people in which you know he did this because we are actually here uh, genesis 8 and 9 he gets off the boat sacrifices to god god establishes covenant and relationship again with noah and all creatures of the earth and it was only by god's grace that anything or anyone was spared in this now i told you before how adam and noah they are completely connected in numerous ways noah or adam is the first man noah is the first man after the flood both enter a world that come from watery chaos both are called image bearers of god both walk with god both rule over the animals animals, both given a mandate to have children, both are farmers, and today you will see that these similarities keep going because both sin against God, both have their sin result in nakedness, both have their nakedness covered to hide their sin, but both in the end are still in covenant with God. Uh, today I'd like to call this not in the coloring book, and if this is your first time to Element and you're easily offended, 
bad day to choose. Okay, bad day to come because you, you may just get something you weren't ready for. Uh, you get lots of things in like the Bible coloring book, right? But you really don't get anything about the real life of Noah. You don't get, you know, the floating bodies in the water with the ark, and you definitely don't get Noah naked, passed out drunk in his tent. Here, color this. I don't have flesh-colored crayons. It doesn't work for me. I don't know what's going on with that. So in Genesis 9, we're going to walk through a very funny and very sad account of one of the most beloved figures in the Scriptures. So Genesis 9, starting in verse 18, says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These verses bring to an end the flood narrative in the Scriptures, and they point to what happens next. Uh, The reference to Ham's son Canaan is also very important for what is about to come. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Now, what happens with this vineyard is this vineyard leads to wine, which leads to drunkenness. So before we proceed, and I'm sorry if you've heard this from me before, I haven't talked about this in a while, but I have to give you the proper view of alcohol consumption. Because what Noah does is a sin, but the alcohol wasn't the source of the sin. It was his heart. Now, alcohol is a very volatile issue in our culture today, and especially volatile in the middle of a church culture. But I submit to you, it is not the alcohol, but the decisions that people make with the alcohol that destroy lives. And sometimes I overdo this, and if you have ever felt when you heard me talk about this, that I talk too hard about drinking and you feel like you should all drink, I'm sorry if you felt like I've ever said that. My goal is not to push this really hard. I never want anybody to leave Element and say, yes, Aaron says we can get drunk in Jesus' name. That's the church we've been looking for. You know, that's, that's not my intent at all. So what I'm going to start with is give you some statistics about drinking. 100,000 U.S. deaths are caused every year by alcohol consumption. It is the number three cause of preventable mortality. 37% of rapes involve alcohol use by the offender. 60% of homicides include alcohol use by the offender. 30% of suicides include alcohol use by the person who commits suicide. Fetal alcohol syndrome is the number one cause of mental retardation in the Western world. Youth who drink alcohol are 50 times more likely to use cocaine and methamphetamines than those who never drink alcohol. Among current adult drinkers, more than half say they have a blood relative who is or was an alcoholic or problem drinker. Traffic causes are the greatest single cause of death for people aged 6 to 33 years old, and about 45% of those are alcohol-related. Alcohol kills six and a half times more youth than all other illicit drugs combined. This is not the problem of the alcohol, though. It's that we live in a world that is sick and doesn't know how to deal with anything good that God has given us. At Element, we want to redeem culture, so we look at things through a scriptural lens, not a cultural one, and especially not a church cultural one. Everything God has made has been given to us as a gift. Wine in the scriptures is called a gift from God 214 times. Alcohol is used in celebration and worship and marital intimacy in scripture. This is Genesis 14, Exodus 29, Deuteronomy 7, Ruth 2, 1 Chronicles 20, Ezra 6, Psalm 104, Song of Songs 5 and 7. He gets to the New Testament and Paul though clearly states the intention of all the scriptures in Ephesians 5.18 that you don't get drunk with wine though. You don't lose control. And there's a fine line I know between enjoying having a good time and waking up with a hangover the next day. There's a fine light in there. We're called to live in tension. In Ecclesiastes 7, 16 to 18, he says, don't be overly righteous. Do not be overly wicked. The one who fears God shall come out of both of them. This life is to be lived in 
tension. Some people will say on alcohol, for example, well, I'm free. I can drink as much as I want. And as, Well, in the end, no, you can't because you're going to kill yourself if you do that. Other people will say, well, a lot of people have killed themselves, so no one should ever drink anything whatsoever. And Well, no, that's not the right answer either. Christians are to respond with wisdom and temperance. C.S. Lewis once said that heresy is the truth taken too far. Sometimes something is so right, it goes so far that it actually becomes wrong. So there are three positions when it comes to alcohol. Uh, there's the prohibitionist, the abstentionist, and the moderationist positions. The prohibitionist position wrongly teaches that all alcohol is a sin and it's wicked and wrong. The far extreme of this movement had said that if Jesus consumed alcohol, he would have ceased to be God. That is a stupid position because you can't back it up in the scriptures. I'm reading a book right now. It's called What Would Jesus Drink? Great book, by the way, okay? And, and at the beginning of this book, the, this, this guy talks about how throughout the scriptures, one of the reasons it says that you shouldn't be a drunkard is that a drunkard forgets God. A drunkard forgets God. And he goes on and he says, he goes, I almost think a prohibition is, is worse, though, because a prohibitionist thinks that they are God because they make more rules and aren't actually in the scriptures. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15 says, He, this is God, He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. So who makes the wine? God. God makes the wine. Why? To gladden the heart of man. In, in the book of John, Jesus goes to something called the Festival of Booths. In this, this is a week-long celebration that in the Old Testament prescribes to have wine and strong drink. Two different things. So Jesus goes, and in Matthew 11, you see Jesus drank. Did Jesus get drunk? No. Jesus was able to do it right. The second position is the abstentionist position. They say, well, it's not a sin, but because it's been so abused and so many people have gone so wrong with it, we should just stay away from it. It sounds good at the outset. But Hosea 2.8, God is speaking to Israel, and he says, She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold which they used for Baal. Meaning, God gave them wine and food and money, and they worship a false god with it. Did God abstain from giving them the gift that they would abuse? And the answer is no. The question for us is, has God ever given us a gift that we've abused? A tongue, and you said things you shouldn't. Hands, you've touched things you shouldn't. A mind, you've thought things you shouldn't. A mouth, you've eaten things you shouldn't. Money, you spend it on things you shouldn't. I mean, if, if it was true, we'd get rid of those things. We'd be chopping off our hands and our eyeballs and our tongues all the time. The abstentionist says someone can abuse it, so we should get rid of it. But in truth, is there anything in all the earth that someone has not used to sin against God with? No, even the scriptures, something that was used to show how God intended for man to live, we have used to hurt other people with. Do we get rid of the scriptures? No. Unless, are you guys, this on? No. Okay, we don't get rid of the scriptures. Martin Luther once said, Do you suppose that abuses are eliminated by destroying the object which is abused? Men can go wrong with wine and women. Shall we then prohibit and abolish women? Gentlemen? No. Dear God, no. <laughs> and there's the moderationist position. The moderationist position is doing it right. Scripture gives liberty to participate in alcohol consumption, but it's also clear you don't abuse it. Again, Ephesians 5, you don't get drunk. Can't be any more clear than that. If you drink so much that your friends are constantly telling you, dude, you need to stop or slip, you need to listen to your friends in that. Uh, we're also to respect our governing authorities, meaning if you're under 21, you don't drink and drive, those kind of things. But we are to allow differing positions on these issues. Romans 14 reminds us of this. There are two types of sins in the scripture. There's universal sins for everyone. This would be like you don't murder, you don't steal, you don't watch reality TV. These things are just 
wrong for all time, period. Country music. Boy bands, they're all in there. And then, and then there's personal issues. This is a matters of conscience. It's not right or wrong, but what your conscience tells you because there is great freedom. Do you smoke a pipe, a cigar? You know, what, what does that look like? Well, it's not in the scriptures. So freedom of conscience. A Christian should be someone who is free, but you should not cause someone else around you who struggles to sin. You don't give an alcoholic a drink. So those who abstain should not look at those who do with contempt. And, and so you don't go and say, oh, I'm holy and I don't drink at all. And you're terrible because you do. You don't do that. If you do drink, you don't say, well, I drink and I'm mature and I can handle it. And you're not. So you're, we don't do that. Both those attitudes are backwards. The question is, do we participate in the world in a way that glorifies God? That is always the question. And we are told the kingdom of God holds new and good wine. And God loves that. So here we go. Proper view of alcohol consumption. Here we go. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. So he becomes a farmer. The job market has literally gone under. That fell flat last service, too. All right. So vineyard takes a lot of work, a lot of work. So it's years before Noah gets drunk in this. So if if this whole point is to get drunk, he's devoted to it. Like guys in prison, they have a Ziploc and, and some water and some bread and some socks, and they stick it in there, and it ferments. You know, whatever. Good. Noah took years. I'm thinking Noah got off the boat, spending a year with your relatives, stinky animals, no shower. You and your wife smell like a dumpster at a fish market. And he's like, dear Jesus, I need a drink. (laughs) So he got better go make one. Gets off the boat, goes to make one. I mean, we have kids singing these songs, how Noah is so righteous. Like, you know, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. There is no song, like no verse. And that's like, and he got drunky, drunky. That's not in the song (laughs) at all. But what you see is Noah is saved by God's grace. His righteousness is through faith. In our vernacular, he's a Christian. He walks with God, but he screws up. Verse 21, he drank of the wine and became drunk. The brevity of that description in the scriptures shows an indication of disapproval in the text. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, his tent is his home. There are nomads. But at this point, they're probably sedentary, probably living in the same spot, but still in tents. So Noah ties one on, and he's got to sleep it off. A lot of times, we were talking about this in our GC leader meeting this week. And you know, a lot of things in the scriptures were like, man, I'd really like to, to be able to do this stuff in the scriptures. Well, this is something you could probably we do okay tonight don't okay but you're probably you, this one's doable but you shouldn't okay just throwing it out there again drinking alcohol is sin no uh, sin to sleep naked no it could be traumatic if you have kids and they walk in but not a sin all right is a sin to get drunk yes that's noah's sin and this is where his son shows up and it's just weird verse 22 and ham the father of canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside it's also a very brief account of what takes place it's almost uncomfortable to read that out loud right he goes in and sees his dad naked for most men this is like worse than hell it's like he'd rather face satan you know face to face in the fiery torment of the afterlife than see our dad naked you can't get over that with med might start drinking yourself in the middle of that it's like i've seen the future and it is not good so i know where this is going so this leads to, to serious consequences. And again, this is very short in the text. Uh, Jewish commentators believe this is once part of a longer narrative, but it was so painful that Moses, when he writes this, just makes it very brief and doesn't want to describe the whole thing. And I'll tell you, Genesis describes some very embarrassing stuff, very painful things. And I told you before how, how this flood narrative in Genesis is different than any other flood narrative that is out there. This takes place years after the ark. Time enough to grow vines, tend them, and make wine. One Jewish commentator even goes far as to say that, well, Noah's not guilty of sin because he didn't know the wine would make you drunk. It was a brand new thing. 
right. The wording for when, when Noah got drunk, it, the, the verb for that shows intentionality. This is why he w- was doing it. And all throughout the rest of the scriptures, what you see that if you get too inebriated to even stay awake, and that leads to nakedness, it's actually associated with shame and loss of human dignity throughout the rest of the scriptures. This isn't a back of lamentations. It goes on and on. So Noah is in sin, passed out, and something happens to them. Or something happens to him. I'm going to tell you, and I've got to say this to guys, because most girls don't do this. Guys, if something happens, and you're out with your buddy, and they tie one on a little, do not pull out your phone and like videotape him and post it to YouTube. It is not cool. The Bible tells you it is not cool. Don't do it. Just put your phone away, carry him home, put him into bed, talk to him the next day. The text says, Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. There's a lot of speculation on this and what it meant. Some rabbis teach that Ham committed sodomy with his father. This wasn't for the purpose of sex. This would be for the purpose to humiliate his father. Other rabbis teach that Ham was angry and he castrates his father, again, for the purpose of humiliating his father, to the point they say that even after the flood, he didn't have any more kids, so therefore his son castrated him. Again, the point of people being born in the scriptures that you see in the book of Genesis, it's theological. theological. So he could have a lot more sons, they just don't talk about it. Or it's simply that Ham just goes out and he makes fun of his father and tries to get everyone else involved. Hey, you named me Ham, I'm not appreciative of that, so I'm going to make fun of you with everybody else around you. They, he tries to humiliate him. Now what happens, happened. It's in his own tent, it's not in public, which makes his son behavior even more contemptible. The text does not tell you what happens. Anything that starts with he saw his dad naked is just bad to start with. But what he does is he finds his brothers and he tells his brothers his dad's sin. He doesn't offer to help, but he makes fun of and starts to belittle his dad. He broadcasts this like gossip. In the Bible, unlike today, father is a sacred title. We pray to our heavenly father. You know, today among Bible translators, there are even discussions that we should stop using the term father in translations because people are going to get the wrong idea about who God is because fatherhood is a joke to most dads today. I mean, if you're a dad and and you are a joke in fatherhood, you need to change your life and honor and love and raise your children because the truth is that we should not look at God in light of our dads, but our dads in light of God. We are also talking in our GC leader meeting this week about how if you go and you, and you watch like a movie or a TV special, usually the dad's like an idiot and he messes something up and the wife and the kids or the kids and the family dog, they got to go out and fix the problem. And the dad's like Homer Simpson, just like a total moron. Our culture is totally dishonoring fathers. Kids become rebellious and they become teenagers and we call it adolescence and an excuse to start to be dishonoring. I will tell you, yes, Noah is in sin, but you've got to remember something that Noah's kids forgot. Noah had saved his family through faith from destruction and his son is too caught up in himself to even acknowledge that. If you hold grudges against your parents, you know, some of them might be warranted if your parents were very abusive growing up. And you don't let that destruction back into your life. You keep it at arm's length. But a lot of times, parents are actually trying to help their kids. And a lot of times, kids are too selfish to even see it. Sometimes parents say harsh words, and children just write off their parents in that. You may be an adult today, but I will tell you that many of you would have died as infants without your parents around you. And yet we treat them like they're idiots. That is called sin in the scriptures. Ham runs around, tries to show everyone that his dad's a joke, as do we. We need to repent and ask forgiveness from our parents. I'll tell you, every Mother's Day, since it just came up, I always write my mom a card. And usually the card is, I'm so sorry for what I did to you growing up. Because I was a total tool the whole time growing up. And every Mother's Day, it's like, that's my card. I'm so sorry. Love you. (laughs) You And I I go and I send it off to her. 
Now, again, the text doesn't explicitly state what happens to Noah, but it's clear that Ham does dishonor and humiliate his father. And he tried to make his brothers a party to that as well. And instead, his brothers make every effort to show dignity and honor to their father. The text tells you twice that they approached their father backwards. Verse 23, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Ham's like, I caught my dad in sin. The other two brothers actually go and take care of him. You've got to notice something here, that these are three kids, same family, same experience, rode on the same boat, yet Ham turns out just to be a total knucklehead. I mean, sometimes you can raise a kid as best as you can, and they just turn out to be a total knucklehead. That doesn't mean you stop loving them and stop honoring them, because you're supposed to do that and help continue to try and raise them, but sometimes that's going to start to include some tough love. But I'll tell you, more often than not, though, it's a bad father that messes up their kids' lives. And some of you may have an awful father that's been mean, abusive, or destructive. He's not a dad. You're to honor the title father because not all fathers are like yours, and God gives himself the name father. Okay, the dads I knew growing up, 0 to 16 years old, were never really dads. I mean, I grew up in a world without a dad. My mom does the best she could, but a mom is not a dad. When I started to follow Christ, I tell you, I found out my Father in Heaven is completely different than all the dads I have known. If I ever do get to have kids, I swear, I'm going to raise them. They're going to realize they're, they're Carlberg kids, and you know, they, they're supposed to love and honor other people and not eat snails out of the backyard. and you know, You're supposed to live right, and I want them to know their best Father in Heaven. Last week, we talked about covenant. And you see at the beginning of this covenant, God gives what's called the rule of law, one of which was not to shed man's blood. This is more connotations than just literally bloodying somebody up. It was also about dignity. Ham offered none of this to his father. The whole point of this is that God's laws are good. That's why he writes them on our hearts today. The rule of law provides for justice so the weak aren't ruled over by, by the mighty, that, that bullies can actually go to jail. The rule of law protects life so we can have life and peace and joy. The, this whole idea of this law was to put a fence around human sin and depravity so it doesn't completely destroy all of us. See, so, some of us in this room, we're not smart or powerful or wealthy or popular. If not for law, many times people who are more skilled or powerful or wealthy would destroy us. Bullies like Ham would humiliate you as well. And so part of Noah's story, in a sense, is you honor all people, but especially honor your father. And if not the one here, then you honor the one in heaven. And that's translated into how we actually live our lives. So at this point, Noah wakes up uh, from his stupor, and he's mad. You know, he, I, not that you would know. You wake up with a headache, your stomach feels bad. Not that you would know. I'm just saying that. That's, that's probably how he feels. Uh, and, and he gets up, and he starts giving that dad look. I don't know if you've ever seen the dad look. My mom gave it to me growing up because I had a mom. Eyes brow go sideways. Your eyes pop out of their head. Their voice drops. What are you doing? And you're like, oh, i got to use the bathroom right now. That's... The standard response. Verse 24, when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He's very angry. Now, if you see this, you might notice something. All of a sudden, Canaan, Ham's son, is the one who is being cursed by Noah. Who sinned? Ham. Who gets punished? Canaan. This is like, I have cookies in my office, and you come and take my cookies, and I go, where's your son? You go in there, I walk over, and I punch your son in the face, and go, that's for taking my cookies. It's like, what's up with that? That's that's totally not how it's supposed to work. Throughout the last ten verses, though, you've seen Moses constantly references Canaan in this. Somehow he's a part of this. Noah probably wakes up. The older two boys are like, I don't know how to tell you this, but while you were sleeping, he told everyone that you're a joke. 
And Noah's probably like, that's it. I want to go take care of this. And he goes to deal with the issue. He probably sees his son, Ham, sitting there with a the, with the grin on his face because his dad has been humiliated in front of all these people. And I think he probably sees his grandson sitting next to his father with the same stupid grin. And he, I think he says, you are a wicked, evil son, and your son is cursed because he's just like you. He states the obvious that, that Ham is a dishonorable man because he failed to honor his father. I think he says, Ham, what do you think your son's going to do to you? You have just given away your position of fatherhood by not honoring your father. How do you think your son's going to turn out? You know what's really sad about this passage is not just that. This passage was actually wrongly used in past centuries to justify the enslavement of the African people. It resulted in grievous abuse, injustice, inhumanity to people created in the image of God. A section of scripture that is talking against injustice and abuse. People used it to abuse others. When we fail to honor God's image in others, it leads to all sorts of abuse. Noah is frustrated. Because a little boy, they want to be like their dad. They want to be like their dad. Guys, if you grew up and your dad was terrible, live how you wished your dad would have lived. You know, a godly guy is going to stand up and say, I may have come from a line of folly, but it's going to change with me. My kids will know truth and life because I'm their dad. If you're a guy in here and you are single, 93% of you will get married. In Christianity, 60% female, 40% male. So if you're not dating anybody, you've got good chances right now. But I'll tell you, even that 40% of guys, a lot of them aren't that great. It's important that if you're a young guy, you own the responsibility of what it means to be a man. You know, it's not, about, it's not about how good you are at sports, what kind of jokes you can crack, or how many girls you can date. It's that you would grow up in a way that is honorable. And you want your kids to say, I'm blessed because my dad walks with God. That's what you want. I mean, it is, it is terrible form to live your entire life simply always blaming your parents. You must be the person God has called you to be. You know, there are a lot of life circumstances, but you don't be who that makes you be. You be who God calls you to be. You start where Noah does. You don't start where Ham did. Verse 26, he also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So Shem worships Noah's God. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. From Canaan eventually comes the Philistines and the Canaanites, these messed up families and messed up countries and lives. How does it all get there? It starts with one guy who dishonors his dad. This means we must be a people who understand legacy. We don't just live just for ourselves or our own wants or our own desires because behind us will come children. This is why at Element we do baby dedications. Have you ever been here for one? We don't actually dedicate the child, so to speak. We dedicate ourselves to God and that child. I ask you, as people who are here, do you, you know, will you live a life that shows this kid what it means to walk with God in your life? And we all usually respond, yes, we will. Because we are dedicating ourselves to leave a legacy behind us so these kids grow up knowing what a great life is to be lived like. Because these children will turn to beliefs and families and works. We cannot think that life is just about us, that we're just in this all alone, and that what we do doesn't matter. We're not like NBA basketball players who say, well, I'm not a role model. You know, the scripture says that people who say that are fools. Because you are. Because somebody is looking at you. We come from a family line. If you've got a good dad, you respect and honor and love him. If you have no dad, you respect fatherhood. So one day your kids will respect fatherhood. Verse 28, after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. 
See, Noah dies in this in the end. It doesn't sound like a note of hope, but I'll tell you, our hope doesn't come from Noah as a father. Our hope comes from our father in heaven. Our hope doesn't come from his son, Ham. It comes from God's son, Jesus. Until Jesus came and died and rose from the dead, our sin was only covered, like Noah's sin was covered when he passed on his tent, or like, Noah, like Adam's sin was covered. But Jesus takes it away. In Hebrews 10, 12 to 14, it says, but when, Christ had, when, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This means our shame and our disgrace is forgiven and it is cleansed and we are adopted into God's family and he becomes our Father. This means we must trust God to actually be our Father. We trust Jesus who is our Father hope this is why every week we bring you to communion because this is what it represents it is this hope in who jesus is that's why you break that cracker like christ's body was broken for us that's why you dip it in the wine of the grape juice it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and i i was talking recently with with the guy who made some bad mistakes in regard to his fatherhood in his life he felt trapped like he couldn't get free from the sense of guilt inadequacy all this shame what he really needed simply was to understand that god was his father this is, and he says this, he goes, I feel like I can't go to God until I get my life cleaned up. He uses this example. He said, he said it's like I have a gym membership, but I'm too out of shape, and I'd be embarrassed, so I have to get in shape before I can go to the gym to get in shape. You ever thought thoughts like that? Yeah, that's why, that's why we have memberships and we never use them, right? Here, here's the deal. You don't have to get in shape. You don't have to first get cleaned up because God made a covenant that we looked at last week. When Jesus died and rose, he washed us to bring us to the Father. This is what we call the new covenant. And in this new covenant, our relationship with God is not based on our obedience. It's based upon Christ's obedience. And he has already set us free and has called us home as our Father. This is why we worship God as Father because he adopts us as his children. And we are to live as these children. So today when you take communion, remember what that means and what that looks like. Uh, the band's going to come up and do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you again to take communion. There'll be some uh, deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe you grew up with like a, you know, a terrible family and, and it's just kind of consumed your life. I would invite you to go and pray with them because they would love to spend some time with you just loving on you a little bit. Uh, if you're a dad and maybe you've kind of not been doing it right, uh, they'd love to pray and talk with you as well because seriously we need to grow our kids in a way that they they honor fatherhood and live honorable lives that offer dignity and worth and grace to everyone around us uh we're going to worship god through giving there's offering boxes on the sidewall on the back uh, we give because god gives so much to us giving is simply part of our worship so we give you the opportunity every week we do not pass a plate that's supposed to be a response to what god has done in our hearts and there's some food and coffee and stuff in the back uh feel free to go eat as much as you want you might get your hand slapped. Sometimes you grab too many donut holes. I wouldn't know what that means. So. Anyway, uh, so grab something to eat, meet some other people. Because I'll tell you, again, part of God's restoration of people is that we get to live in community again with other people. So live in community with those around you. Again, you may have had a terrible family growing up, but God puts us in a new family, calls it his body, his church, and it's great grace that we get to offer to one another. God has given us great grace and great freedom, has redeemed and restored his people so that we no longer have to live how our pasts have been given to us, but we can live a future that is full of hope and that is completely new. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as an entire people and you would remind us of you as our Father, that we would honor you, 
first and foremost. Then in honoring you, it would change in how we live. It would change how we treat our families around us. It would change how we treat the people around us. Understanding that our Father in Heaven has given us great grace and great love, and we are to act like our Father in Heaven. Father, we thank you for Jesus and how he came and died and rose from the dead to give us great grace as well and to call us home and adopt us into your family. I ask that you would take us and renew our vision and focus of real fatherhood and a real explanation of grace in our hearts so that those around us would know that we have a Father in heaven that loves us dearly and calls us to live and love those around us dearly as well. We ask these things in your Son's great and good name. Amen.